0: as well. Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Philippians chapter number four. It's where we're going to be at this morning. Philippians chapter number four as we're continuing to work through the book of Philippians. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like every new year we get bombarded with all the secrets that are going to change our life. And for a small monthly fee, you can subscribe to this e-course that'll turn you into a brand new person, at least until February when we all fizzle out on our New Year's resolutions, right? I mean, gimmicks abound promising to tell us the secret of this tell us the secret of that revitalize your health revitalize your finances learn the secret of this ancient morning ritual that'll completely change you everybody is trying to sell us some secret and as much as those gimmicky sales pitches always make me cringe i've called this morning's message the secret of contentment and before you cringe with me i pull this right out of verse number 12 where paul says i in any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a secret that I'd like to learn. And those of us who have learned it would say it's life-changing. There's no hyperbole there. That's not just a clickbait headline, that's the truth. Now, Paul isn't trying to sell us anything this morning. In fact, as we move into this section of Philippians chapter number four, he's actually switching gears. So he's laid the theological foundation in the first several chapters, Then in the first part of chapter number four, he showed us what that theology looks like in practice through a series of commands. And now what he's doing as he's closing out the book is he's thanking this church for the support that they sent him through Epaphroditus. And as he thanks them, he shares what God has done in his life. These verses that we're going to look at this morning, they're not commands. They're not promises. They're simply Paul sharing how God taught him to be content. And as we consider Paul's testimony, we also learn how we can experience what the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs called the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Let's read all of Philippians chapter number four this morning, and then we will jump into our study. Philippians chapter number four. We have three weeks left in Philippians, counting today, so let's read through Philippians chapter four for one of our final times. Philippians four, verse one, the Bible says, so then... My dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because you once again renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greeting. All the saints send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray, and then we will jump into the secret of contentment. Father, I pray that your spirit would anoint the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, our world is full of bad news. Every person that came through these doors this morning has troubles, they have burdens, they have fears, they have things that they're worried and anxious about. Lord, there's areas of our life where we are not experiencing contentment. And I pray that your spirit would anoint not my words, but your word this morning so that your word will be good news to those of us who struggle to be content. I pray that your word would be good news to those who are poor in spirit. I pray that your word would heal those who are brokenhearted. Lord, if there's any in here this morning that are struggling with discontentment to the point where they are in bondage to certain things, I pray that your word this morning would set them free from that. Help us to realize that because we have Jesus, we have everything we need to experience the ultimate satisfaction. I pray that your word would give us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festival oil instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair, so that we could be called righteous trees planted by God to glorify you. We ask this in your name. Amen. In verses 10 uh, through 20, Paul is, again, just showing appreciation for the support that the Philippians had sent him. And let's revisit verse number 10. If you look at chapter 4, verse number 10, the Bible says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because you once again renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. This church had been concerned about Paul's well-being and they wanted to financially support him. But it would seem like there was a period of time where they were unable to do that. and the verses we're going to look at next week, Paul said, over and over, you guys have financially supported me. Since the very beginning of this church, you guys have been my partners. You have sent gifts to me over and over and over again. But it would seem that there was a period of time where they couldn't. Paul says that they are renewing their care, so their care had stopped because they didn't have an opportunity. They didn't have a way to get their gift to Paul. Now, you've got to remember, these are the days before Venmo. They couldn't just take up an offering and it was like, oh man, who's going to get this? Oh, don't worry about it. I got Paul's PayPal. I'll just send it to him. They couldn't do that. They needed a person who would literally risk their life to go and take this offering to him. I mean, think about it. You're traveling in ancient days. That's dangerous as it is, but you're traveling with a large sum of money. I mean, talk about being a target for a robbery. This was a dangerous business. On top of that, we've already learned how Epaphroditus on this journey got sick and almost died. So this was a big deal to take it to him and they didn't have an opportunity to get this offering to Paul. But now that Epaphroditus could bring the offering to Paul, this church can once again financially support him. And we know it was a gift from the church given to him by Epaphroditus because of what Paul says in verse 18. He says, I have received everything in full. Some translations say, I have the receipt of everything in full. And I have an abundance. I am fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. And because they were once again able to support Paul, Paul is rejoicing. Now we're gonna see next week how his rejoicing isn't based on the fact that he got this gift. We read that as we were reading through the verses we'll look at uh, next week. But he's rejoicing because the fruit that's going to abound to their account because they gave him this gift. And Paul also wants to be clear that he's not rejoicing because he got this gift because God wasn't meeting his needs. He's not like, oh man, God wasn't taking care of me and you guys have finally come through for me. That's not why he's rejoicing. Look at verse number 11. Paul says, I don't say this out of need. So Paul's like, I'm not sitting here wondering, is God gonna come through for me? No, he's like, I'm not saying this out of need because I have learned in whatever circumstance to be content. And this verse, verse 11, shows us our first thought this morning and that is we can learn contentment in any circumstances. We can learn contentment in any circumstances. As we consider contentment this morning, though, it's important that we have a solid understanding of what it is. And so it's actually really interesting. In the Greek word here, this is the only place in Scripture this Greek word is used. So when Paul says, I've learned to be content, in verse number 11, that Greek word, this, you'll only find it here in verse number 11, and what it means is, is it means sufficient for oneself. So self-sufficient, it means strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances. Now, when I read this definition, I was a little bit puzzled because this, isn't the type, this type of self-sufficiency is not normally something that's a good thing. As a Christian, we know I'm not supposed to be self-sufficient. I'm supposed to be God-dependent. I don't rely on self. I rely on God. And in the strictest sense of this word, only god can be truly self-sufficient. Only God can really claim to be all-sufficient in himself because God's the only one who can say, I don't need anything because I have everything in, in, in myself. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need the world. God doesn't need anything. He's God. And he flat out says in the Psalms, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because I own the cattle on a thousand hills. God doesn't need anything. And so only God in the truest sense of this word can claim to be self-sufficient. God rests fully satisfied in and with himself alone. So why does Paul use this word to describe his being content? One of the reasons many believe, and I've read this several times this week, is this word that Paul uses here was actually a word that Greek philosophers would use. Greek Stoics would use this word to describe how, oh, I'm stoic. We have enough in and above ourselves to be disciplined. And so a lot of writers actually think Paul's actually taking this greek philosophy and flipping it on its head and paul gives us helpful insight in the book of 2 corinthians second corinthians 3 5 says this not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us but our sufficiency is from god and so this self-sufficiency that paul is talking about this self-sufficiency that he is how this how he's describing his contentment it's not something that originates from ourselves but it originates. From who god is in us and so because christ is in me paul says i have everything that i need i am self-sufficient not because of who i am but because christ is in me so contentment or self sufficiency is through the grace of christ that is at work in me paul could say he was self-sufficient because christ was in him and with him and him and christ were one so it was not disingenuous for paul to say i am self-sufficient i have everything that i need because he recognizes i am one in christ we've seen that over and over throughout the book of philippians look at all the times he says in the lord in the lord in christ why because we are in christ we are one with him so paul could say i have everything that i need True satisfaction is independent of external circumstances. That Experiencing that is a result of Christ in me. Now, to help us further understand this, I want to read a few helpful quotes from the book The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment written by Jeremiah Burroughs. He was a Puritan I mentioned a moment ago. And I think these quotes, as he kind of defines contentment for us from Philippians 4.11, they help us to get a good grasp on what Paul is describing. He says in his book, Though I have not outward comforts, and worldly conveniences to supply my necessities, yet I, have suf- yet I have a sufficient portion between Christ and my soul abundantly to satisfy me in every condition. He goes on to say, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. These are both helpful because they show us this inner sufficiency that Paul is talking about. Contentment is the quiet rest of soul that not only submits to what God does or doesn't do, but it also learns to delight in that because we recognize this is our all-wise heavenly Father working in our lives. This is why Paul could say, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. The continual presence and grace of God had produced in Paul so much contentment that he was able to have this inward sufficiency no matter what he was lacking in his life and because of our relationship with god our souls can always be content we can always be satisfied paul gives two types of circumstances to help us understand this he says in verse 12 i know how to make do with a little and i know how to make do with a lot whether well fed or hungry whether in abundance or in need. He's repeating the same thing different ways to help us understand the point he's making. It doesn't matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, because Christ is in us, we can be content. Now, it makes sense that Paul would say he's learned to be content when he's facing lack, right? Like, that's an obvious way where we would need to learn to be content, because he doesn't have something. But why does he say he also had to learn contentment when he was in abundance, or when he had a lot in his life? Well, most of us, I think, would agree, and we've observed that often the most discontent people are those who seem to have everything. Isn't that true? Because for a discontented person, there is no such thing as enough. We're trying to help our kids understand this. Like, if you always are just chasing more, you're going to always be chasing more, but if you learn to be content with what you have, you'll always be happy, you'll always be satisfied. So when Paul had good circumstances, when Paul had a lot, when he was well-fed, when he was living in abundance, he was happy in Christ. Notice the first part of verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. He's not rejoicing in his abundance. He's not content because he has abundance. He's content because he has Christ. He's content because he is in the Lord. There was this quiet rest of soul, not because of all that he had, but because he had God. The source of Paul's contentment was not in his abundance. It was in Christ. And so, when the stuff was there, he was content. And because his contentment was in Christ, not the stuff, when he lost the stuff, he was still content. This helps us understand that the Christian contentment Paul is talking about transcends our physical needs. Now, he's not neglecting meeting physical needs. We should work to do that. There was a season in Paul's life where his needs weren't getting met through the ministry, so he became a tent maker. He's not saying ignore physical needs, but what he is saying is our contentment is not based on whether or not those needs are met. It's based on our relationship with God. In Jeremiah 31, we're given an amazing portrait of the new covenant and all of its glorious ramifications. And as I've read through that this week and I've read other passages that describe the new covenant, One of the quieter, yet more persistent implications of the new covenant throughout scripture is the ability to find satisfaction in our life in God. Jeremiah 31, 25, as God is describing this new covenant that he's going to make, he says, For I satisfy the thirsty person, and I feed all those who are weak. I satisfy the thirsty. The deeper our understanding of grace goes, the more contentment we will experience. Psalms 23, one of the most beloved psalms in all of Scripture. It's so beloved because it paints this amazing picture of our relationship with God, doesn't it? And what does the first verse of that psalm say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have what I need. Satisfaction, contentment. Because God is our shepherd, we have everything we need. And we can, like Paul, experience true contentment. We, like Paul, can learn to be content in any circumstance. But how do we do that? (laughs) It's one thing to say we can do this. But what does that look like? Well, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. This shows us our second thought this morning. We've seen that we can learn to be content in all circumstances, but now how? Let's look at how we learn contentment in any circumstances and first of all like Paul we look to Christ we look to Christ now if I had a guess I would say that Philippians 4:13 is probably one of the most misused misquoted verses in all of scripture I've seen a coffee mug I've seen it on memes it's great it says I can do all things through a verse taken out of context this verse gets used and abused We tend to think this verse means we don't have to face need. I can do all things through Christ, so I'll never have to be hungry. I'll never have to face need, or I'll never have to get by with only a little because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what Paul is telling us is that the strength of Christ enables him to live for Christ regardless of his circumstances. So we could say it this way. It's I can make do with a little through Christ who strengthens me. I can... Be hungry through him who strengthens me. I can live for the glory of Jesus without certain needs being met through him who strengthens me. Now, I'll admit, that's not going to sell a lot of wall art at the Christian bookstore, but it will change your life. It also means that when we have abundance, we can rest in Christ and not our abundance because it's Christ that strengthens us. It's Christ that strengthens us, not our abundance. So when things are going good... I still rest in Christ, not the abundance. We don't rejoice in the abundance. We rejoice because Christ is better than the abundance. And we always have Christ, no matter what. Now, this doesn't mean we don't enjoy abundance. Again, I want to be clear. If God has given you abundance, if God has put you in a season of plenty, enjoy it. That's a good gift from your Father. We're not saying, oh, go get rid of everything and just be miserable all your life because that will make you more spiritual. No. No. Paul, in verse 18, is like, I have everything in abundance. And so if God has given you a good gift, enjoy it. That's from your Father. But recognize and rest in the fact that Christ is far superior to that gift. And when you recognize Christ is superior than any of the abundance I have in my life, if God decides to replace the gift of abundance with the gift of suffering, you will still be content. Philippians 3, 7, and 8, Paul says, Everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus, Paul says. Jesus is far superior than any gift. When we believe Christ is superior to any of the abundance of this world, we'll always be content. Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean you can be the best pro athlete, sorry. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed a successful life according to the world's metrics. It means Christ empowers you to live a content life. So how do we experience contentment in any circumstances while well, we look to Christ who empowers our contentment? Now, there's also an interesting connection here in these verses. Paul says, I learned to be content, but it was Christ that strengthened me for that contentment. First uh, Peter 4.11 also touches on this interesting connection. First Peter 4:11 says, "If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words; if anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything." So Peter says when you're serving, serve with God's strength. But notice you're still the one who's serving. You're still doing the work, you're still doing the serving. In Philippians 4, Paul says, "He is the one who had to learn to be content. He had to work out learning this." God just didn't look down at Paul and go, poof, you got it. And Paul's like, oh, okay, I'm content now. No, Paul says, I had to learn this. It's like what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. On the contrary, I worked harder than anyone, but not I. It was the grace of God that was working in me. So when we experience the power of God for serving or for contentment or for doing anything Scripture calls us to do, we still do the task. We still do the work. When God empowers you to renew your mind, you still need to open up your Bible and read it, right? For most of us, that also involves some coffee. That's the way we're working at this thing, right? So our minds can be awake. We have a plan. We have a Bible reading plan. We have a spot that we go to. We have a set time. Why? Because we want to work at renewing our mind. We work hard believing God's supernatural grace is empowering our work. God doesn't just go, poof, renewed mind, you're good now. No, we act Christ empowers. This is true of our service. This is true of our sanctification. And as we're seeing here in Philippians 4, it's also true of our contentment. Like Paul, we must do the work of learning to be content. So how do we learn to be content? What do we need to learn? Well, first of all, we look to Christ. Secondly, we work at learning to be content. What do we need to learn, though? Well, as as I was studying this week, one pastor gave the following exercise I I thought it was tremendous. I wish I could take credit for it, but I didn't come up with this exercise. But here's the exercise. If you want to learn what you need to know in order to be content, go back through the book of Philippians and fill in this following statement. We've got it up on the screens if you want to write it down. Guys, feel free to just leave this up on the screens for a minute so people can see it. If I really believed blank, I would be content. Go through the book of Philippians and just fill that in. If I really believed this, I would be content. If this is really true, I would be content. Yesterday, as I was finishing getting ready for this message, I did this journal in my exercise. I wanted to share a few of my answers with you this morning to help us kind of learn how to do this. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So I wrote down, if I really believe Christ will finish what he started in me, I'll be content. When I really believe that, Christ is going to finish what he started in me. I'll be content in any circumstances, even if I don't know how it's going to turn out. If I really believe God uses difficulties for gospel advancement, I would be content. Look at verse 12, Philippians 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. When I really believe that God can even take my suffering and my trial and use it to advance his gospel then I'll be content in my suffering. If I really believed Christ was more satisfying than anything I can lose, I would be content. We saw this when we looked at Philippians 1.21. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, because Christ was so amazing to him. Christ was so much better than anything he would lose when he would die. That's why I said to die is gain. Because <laughs> that means more Jesus. That means more joy. That means more satisfaction. It means more eternal pleasures at his right hand. If I really believed Christ was better than anything I could lose, I would be content. If I really believe that suffering can be a gift from God with eternal purposes, then I would be content. Chapter 129, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It has been granted to you to suffer for him. That's a hard pill to swallow. Because suffering hurts. hurts but when we really believe that verse, it's amazing the contentment that just washes over us. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, I wrote, if I really believed adopting the attitude of a servant is the path to glorifying God in eternal glory, I would be content. It wouldn't matter if what I'm doing is beneath me. It wouldn't matter if nobody sees what I'm doing. There would be contentment. There would be satisfaction. If I really believed that adopting the attitude of a servant is a pathway to glorifying God and experiencing eternal glory. If I really believed God is working in me and through my work for him, I would be content, for it's God who's working in you both to will and to work according to... You You guys see the pattern here? So how do I learn contentment? How do I learn... You learn these truths. You take the time. You open up your Bible. Yes, read through the Bible this year. Get through the whole thing. See the big picture of God's grand narrative, but dive into these truths. Learn them. Know them. How do we learn to be content? We learn these truths, but church, we don't just learn them to know them or to repeat them or to write them down. We don't just memorize them intellectually. We also believe them in our hearts. We allow our affections to be driven by them because here's the scary truth. Satan can quote these better than I can. He knows them, but he doesn't believe them. Don't settle for just knowing it in your head. Don't just settle, okay, I wrote it down, now I'm supposed to be content. No. Believe it. Sit with it. Chew on it. Meditate on it over and over and over again. If you study meditation throughout scripture, it's not crossing your legs and doing weird thumb poses. It's just chewing on the scripture. The mental picture is a cow that's just chewing. and That's a gross mental picture, right? Just cow chewing on grass. That's not attractive, but that's the idea. You just chew on these truths over and over. Meditate on them. Sit with them. Believe them. Rest in them. And then rest because of them. Paul uses two different words in the Greek to describe how we learn in verses 11 and verse 12. The first Greek word in verse number 11 he uses to, to learn. It means... To learn, or to be appraised of, or to hear. It means you know it. Like when I tell you something, you've learned it. You've been appraised of it. You've heard it. You now know that is a statement of fact. But he uses a different word in verse number 12. So in verse 11, I have learned to be content. That means he knows these truths. He knows them in his mind. But in verse number 12, he uses a different different word. The phrase, I have learned the secret, in verse number 12. It's all one word in Greek. And it means to initiate the mysteries. That's why some translations say learn the secret, not just learned. I learned the secret. It means to initiate the mysteries or to give one an intimate acquaintance with a thing. You see the difference? Just like with the Greek word he used for content in verse number 11, this is the only place this Greek word here gets used in Scripture. No other place in Scripture does Paul use this word to describe how we learn. Paul is showing us that what he has learned is not just head knowledge, it's transformational. This will change your life. And he's using this unique word to help us understand, to learn contentment, you need to dive into the mysteries of grace. You need to become so familiar with them that you could use the word intimate to describe your knowledge of them. It's close, it's personal, it brings so much satisfaction, it brings so much pleasure, it's just so real to me that I am intimate with these truths that Paul is unpacking throughout the whole book of Philippians. Don't just settle for making yourself aware of them. At a soul level, become intimate with these realities. Dive into the depths of the mysteries of the gospel and just bathe your mind in what Christ has done for you. Bathe your heart in what Christ has done for you. That is the secret to being content. Say, Pastor Nick, tell us the secret. You just, it's grace. And you dive into it. And you live in it. And you rest in it. And you saturate your mind with it. To the point when life cuts you, you just bleed scripture and you bleed contentment. because this is One of the things Jeremiah Burroughs says over and over again in his book, and I can remember when I listened to that book, it was so convicting. Because over and over again, he just, he just asks the question, Are you saved? Then how can you be discontent? And it was like, yeah, but Jeremiah, you don't understand. There's this and there's this and there's this. He's like, but all the heaven realities that are yours in Christ. And that's what Paul is helping us understand. Dive into these mysteries. Learn them. Initiate them. The secret to being content is a heart that values Jesus above everything. That's that's the secret, Philippians 3.8. The value of Christ is far and above anything and everything this world can offer. The secret to Christian contentment is getting to a place where your soul finds supreme satisfaction in Christ. And so as we conclude this morning, I kind of want to restructure what we've looked at to help us remember and live this out. So how do we live content through Christ who strengthens us? Number one, remember that because Christ is in me, I'm empowered to live a life of contentment. You can't quote Philippians 4.13 to fly, right? It ain't going to work. You're going to fall. You can't quote it to live a life of contentment. Because Christ is in me, I am empowered. I have everything that I need. I am fully equipped to live a life of contentment. Number two, recognize that both both abundance and suffering are gifts from God. So if I'm living in abundance, enjoy it but rejoice in God. Paul says this in Philippians 4.18. I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied. But he says in verse number 10 that he's rejoicing in the Lord. So if you're living in abundance, enjoy it. Thank God for it. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But rejoice in God. And under that, if I'm in suffering, acknowledge with joy and tears, suffering is from God's loving hand. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf to suffer for him. It doesn't take away the pain doesn't take away the hurt it doesn't take away the confusion we've worked through all of that so many times in so many different messages but we can experience contentment in that because even though we don't understand even though i ask god why and that's okay even jesus asked god why my god my god why have you forsaken me ask those questions wrestle with the lord spend time with him but in your wrestling by faith belief even though it makes no earthly sense, based on what Scripture says. This is from the good, merciful, loving hand of my Heavenly Father. So number one, remember that because Christ is in me, I am empowered to live a life of contentment. Number two, recognize that both abundance and suffering are gifts from God. Number three, renew your minds with the truths of who Christ is and what he's done for you. Take some time and work through that exercise we looked at. Like, that's your homework. I never give homework. That's weird. I'm not a teacher. Well, in a sense, I am. But, like, that's your homework. Go home and fill in that blank. Just look through the book of Philippians. We've studied it for months now. And fill in that blank. If I really got a hold of this truth, I would be content. If I really believed this truth, man, that would be life-changing. Renew your minds with the truth of who Christ is and what he has done for you. It's Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, dwell on these things. Remember last week, we saw that's it is a filter, but it's not just a filter to weed out bad thinking. That's a command to think on good things. So dwell on those things. Renew your mind with the truths of who Christ is and what he has done for you. Number four, request that God meet your needs in confident, thankful prayer. Just because we can be content when we're facing need doesn't mean we shouldn't pray about our need. Like, if you've got needs in your life, give those to God. Remember, if you have needs, pray about them. Remember, we're the ones who act the miracle. We're the ones who still have to work. So if there's a need, if you need a job, pound the pavement looking for your job and beg God to give you one. But beg God with this confident, thankful prayer. It's Philippians 4.6. Don't worry about anything. I always laugh at that. <laughs> but in everything... In everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre- present your request to God. So when you are facing that need, when you are facing that suffering, when you are facing that loss, when your life is brought low, as some translations will say here in Philippians, take those requests and give them to God in confident, thankful prayer. And then number five, rest in your union with Christ and in the truth that no matter what, you can be content. After you've done all these things, just rest. Okay, I've remembered, I've recognized, I've renewed my mind, I've requested now, just breathe easy and rest in your union with Christ and in the truth that no matter what you can be content. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we as the Fresno Church would, like Paul, learn the secret of being content. I pray that we would be content when we are in abundance, not because of the abundance but because of you and I pray that we would be content when we're brought low. I pray that we would not just know these truths on an intellectual level, but that we would dive deep into the mysteries of your grace and believe them with all of who we are. I pray that the all-satisfying realities of your grace would produce in us such contentment that the abundance of this world would no longer hold such sway over our hearts. I pray that your spirit would remind us that we can live this way because of Christ who strengthens us. Now to you who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to you be glory in this church and in Christ.